It is the Brian Oak Show, episode 188. That is actually the real number. It's not like when you go to open up a new checking account and they're like, would you like us to start your check number at 3,000, sir? Like, just so it seems like you've written more checks than you have. That's probably a very outdated reference. But I remember when I went in to get my first checking account, my first real checking account. Oh, yeah. Like, we're going to start your, at your 1,200. So it seems like you've written more checks. People will take it more seriously as opposed to check number five written by Brian Oak. But we've done 188 episodes of The Brian Oak Show here in the Smart Start MN studio. Not all of them here, but they've been with us since day one. And so I feel safe in saying that. And I, I, I don't mean to pat ourselves on the back. I'm Brian Oak. That's Sean Bernard. But 188 episodes means that we've got some momentum, that there's some life there, that people are still listening. In fact, we've got more listeners now than we've ever had. And um, I don't know. It feels good. It feels weird. There are certain weeks where it's busy and it's crazy and we're grinding. I know you've got a busy week. I've got a busy week. But I still like coming in here and having these conversations. There's something about them that no matter... And I don't want Martin, our guest today, to take this the wrong way. But every once in a while, when you're like, oh, man, I'm so busy. Are we really doing another one of these? But every time we crack the mics and every time we start talking, I get excited. I get I get wound up. I get an energy from doing this. I really like doing this show, Sean. Oh, it's a blast. And I, I was thinking like two days ago, I was thinking how many different people we've gotten to talk to from Minneapolis and St. Paul. All over a the map. A ton of St. Paul, which mm-hmm. Martin will be happy about. But it's really cool just to hear people's stories and to kind of hear how they're part of the community and in this case, a big part of the music community as well. Yeah, well, so before we dive into talking to Martin, let's take care of a couple of our sponsors because literally, and also I would really like to, we don't ever start out by thanking our Patreon members, but when we got started, we needed capital. Neither Sean nor I have a trust fund. And if we were going to do something like this, we needed to start a Patreon or a crowdfunding of some sort. And we started Patreon. And the number of people who have jumped on board, who jumped on board immediately, by the way, without thinking about it, is deeply humbling. But the number of people who have stayed with us and maintained, I promise you, we are going to continue to make it worth your while. We're going to have more Patreon events available for people who would like to be Patreon members. We got motherfucking tote bags, son. Fucking tote bags. Um, and we well, we do. They're right behind you, right there, Martin. In fact, you're leaving with one today. You're not getting out of here without and a tote some bag. Clorox bleach wipes. Okay, no, those are ours. You can't have any of those. We need to keep this room clean. Delta variant. <clears throat> anyway, um, if you want to be a, a, an insider, we are going to have more and more events as time goes on, as things open up, as life. normal is done i'm done with that word as life at least becomes slightly more tolerable and we figure out what we're doing we got a couple of cool ideas in the works if you want to be part of our patreon community patreon.com slash brian oak show o-a-k-e and find out more we'd love to have you on board two dollars a month two thousand dollars a month whatever you feel is appropriate we're more than happy but without you we don't have the studio and without the good people at smart start mn minnesota's original ignition interlock company they're the ones who are the the naming, the brand, like, you know, giant stadiums are like U.S. Bank Stadium, <laughs> whatever. Well, this is the Smart Start MN Studio. Without them, we couldn't do it. They're Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. What that means is if you have a DUI, if someone you know, love, respect, or just want to pass some cool info on to has one, they can get them back in their car and back on the road sooner and for less money than they otherwise might be able to. Yeah, go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show. That'll get you 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock thingamajig well and, and that thingamajig i mean let's be honest i'm not trying to oversimplify it but it's basically a breathalyzer in your car you blow clean you get to start your car you've been drinking all morning you're not going anywhere young man all right you sit back down and think about what you've done that's the <laughs> other cool thing about smart start they're not judgy people no. at all they're very cool people they just want to help you out they know you want to get your life back on track you made a stupid 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 mistake but it doesn't mean it's the end of your life so go ahead and fix it and get in touch with smart start mn that fair yeah that seems fair to me all right so we're going to publish this one right here even though we're recording it a couple days early in the future if well uh, exactly time travel this should be if you're hearing it right as it comes down saturday morning that would be saturday the 18th of september yes which means it's day two of the Oktoberfest celebration over at forgotten star brewing you and i are going to be there all afternoon well into the evening they had big music last night and yeah that got, jeremy messersmith did a great job last night you don't know that because it hasn't happened yet 
it's the future. No, I know, I know. Like, I'm not going to lie to people. It, it, we don't know. It was probably great, and Monica LaPlante is always enjoyable. I'm sure it was fantastic. We just don't know. However, we do know that this evening, Sean and I are going to be there from 3 until 9. Now, not only is there incredible music all night long, but apparently because Oktoberfest has a lot to do with Guzzlin' Beer. You've yeah. heard about that? Yes. They do a thing called a stein holding contest where with your arm out at full length, you oh, have yeah. to hold a giant stein of beer. Now, my only concern about that, and I'm fine with feats of strength and what are you capable of? And I mean, I'd be able to hold it for about 15 seconds. And it would be over. But I mean, are we talking about a glass stein, a ceramic stein? They should be plastic because you know what's going to happen? They're going to shatter. Yeah. People's arms start to wobble and they get real nervous and friends are like, go, 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 go. And then kerblamo. And it's over. I know. I hope that doesn't happen because I just would feel bad for the beer and for the stein. Not me. I'm going to point and laugh and say, lick it up. Lick it, up. Lick it up. Lick it up with all the glass shards. <laughs> Just kidding. It's not going to be like that. But there are going to be feats of strength. There's going to be contests. There's going to be good people. Great music all all the time. For and free beer if you are a Patreon member. Stop by and get a ticket from me and prove that you're a Patreon member. How do they prove that? Well, I've got an email list. Okay. Yeah. So the same, I mean, we haven't started instituting tattoos or anything yet, have we? No, and you and I are going to be designated drivers, I guess. Yeah, well, I, no, I'm no, not. We're you, not, we're not. you certainly we're not. can be. That's fine. <laughs> no. Sean will give you a free beer and a ride <gasps> home. ForgottenStarBrewing.com. It is the Brian Oak Show. Coming up, Martin Devaney, a longtime friend, but also an incredible Twin Cities artist, has got a new project, and it's bubbling up. It's almost here. People are getting excited. And we'll talk more about that, and we'll hear some of that music coming up just ahead. But before we do, I was, I work at a record shop, right, is one mm-hmm. of my part-time gigs. Multiple revenue streams, Sean. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that it's concept. It's important to diversify. Well, in this day and age, it absolutely is, because you never know. When somebody that you knew and trust is just going to fuck you. So what you do is you... Was that out loud? Did Murphy's I, Laws. Was that, sorry, was that too strong? <laughs> anyway, my point is this. Uh, I work at a record store, and I dig around. And, you know, every time I see an Ike and Tina record, I'm always like, God, Ike was such a dick. Cokehead, abusive. Just I mean, we've all spent our lives finding out what a piece of shit Ike Turner was. But if you, you know, it's hard for me to separate the artist from the art, but he was a brilliant musician and he and Tina, when they were together in their prime, despite all the problems, despite all the drama, they did create some truly fantastic music together.
Ike and Tina Turner with finger pop and just a little fun time and the summer music as we get into episode 188 of the Brian Oak Show. Let's meet today's guest. Martin Devaney has been making music for a long time. Now, I'm not trying to paint him as an old man, but we've all been a little younger than we are today. Would you say that's fair, Sean? I think it's possible. It's (laughs) possible. (laughs) Martin's been making great music for a long time and now has a new project, a new direction, and a bunch of new music to rub everyone's nose in coming up in the very (laughs) near future. And we're very lucky for it. Martin Devaney, thank you for coming in, man. How are you, Martin? Yeah, good. Thanks for... For having me. It's good to see you, man. I mean, we've gotten to know each other better in recent years than we did back in the day, but we would crisscross and things. So before we get into the new project folios and what that's all about and what the new philosophy and direction of (laughs) Devaney music is, let's talk about where you're from. Because I know there was a time, Sean, I feel like on this show, where for about two and a half months, every single guest was from St. Paul's Rock and East Side. Where are you from, Martin? Uh, St. Paul proper, but yeah. Yeah? Yep. So not from the Rock and East side? Not from the Rock and East side. You're not a peppercorns guy? Uh, more of a M- Midway, Mac Groveland, Marion Park guy. How many times have you been inside the pain reliever? Never. Okay. Wow. Whatever. Good one, you Martin. call yourself a saint. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, but you're born and raised St. Paul. You are a Minnesotan in the flesh. Yeah, I'll bring you down to the spot bar. I don't even know what that there is. There you go. Well, See, <laughs> there here's you the go. weird thing is that people love to do the Minneapolis versus St. Paul thing. Having worked in St. Paul, having many friends from St. Paul, I got nothing against St. Paul. I just, you know, I mean, it's like it's um, it's it's nice to have our kind of our own Mayberry right here in the mm. Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. Nothing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't I've even heard, register with uh, you. I've heard it all. Yeah, no, I know you have. You know, and I and I and I've always, like I've said, I've always thought of myself as you know of the Twin Cities. Yeah, but, exactly. Well, but, and it's it's not just that. Look, man, I grew up in Coon Rapids, hey. so the last thing I'm going to do is make fun of anybody. Yeah. Okay, I grew up outside the 694 and the 494 Loop. <sighs> So I got nothing to say to anybody. Let's do this, Ben Martin. You've been making music for a long time, but it had to start somewhere. Did you start? I mean, like, did it, was it piano lessons? Did you borrow your uncle's guitar? When do you first fall in love with making music and being a singer songwriter? Yeah, well, that took a while. Um, A lot of different avenues. What's the first thing you plunked music out of? Yeah, right. Well, literally the first thing actually makes an appearance on this new record. Um, which was a little toy piano. For real. Yeah, I still have it and actually played it on this record that's coming out. Fisher Price or like a weird um, old wooden one yeah, from the old, old country? One, yeah. Really? Yeah, it's, it's, all right, all right. There's some pictures I have it in now. Um, but uh, legitimately playing music, I I did the whole like Suzuki violin avenue. Yeah? I was like five. And what does that mean, Suzuki I like the violin. method. It, it was like the... Um, the, 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 the Suzuki method, I, I've yeah, heard it, but I don't know what that means. I, I believe it's like the... Um, like motorcycle? <laughs> yes. Okay, no, cool. like the um, instruction books. Okay, I think very it was good. like, if I remember so, right. I mean, but starting at but, five, like, yeah. so, like in, where, when I grew up, I started on the viola myself, but we couldn't touch an instrument until we were in fifth or sixth grade where I grew up. You started at five years old. Was your family musical? Not particularly. Yeah? Um, I mean, music was around the house, um, but I don't come from musicians i understand okay all right but so but 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 i mean five is pretty young to start playing the violin yeah and then into grade school i picked up the clarinet okay played that grade school into junior high were you good were you going to be like the next jazz great uh, i was not playing jazz at that point i was just playing like concert band you know what the hell Um, else can you play on the clarinet besides jazz oh you know that chamber music. Okay. Or, oh, I know. see. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm but, with um, you. I'm with you. And then, then picked up, uh, you know, natural progression was moving to tenor sax. And that's when I started playing jazz in high school. Oh, and you got some of that devil's music, the rock and roll in your <laughs> that's system. That's right. Because um, saxophone is a perfect gateway drug to rock and roll. Right. So late high school, um, I was playing in some jazz groups out of the Walker West Music Academy on Selby Avenue in mm-hmm. St. Paul. Um with people like Devon Gray, who's in the keyboard player in High Respects. You may know him from that. I do. And then pretty much when I met Sean McPherson and also some other people that were playing like small jazz groups as well as jazz band um, in high school. And then I joined High Respects after that as it kind of got started. And so what year and, are we looking at right here? Uh, 97 okay, into so, 98. So you're a young man. Yeah, still Lucky. in high school then. Lucky. So um, High Respects, I mean, obviously a great local band with a long legacy. 
it's jazz, it's hip hop, it's got R and B elements. How would you describe High Respects? It's it's live band hip hop. Yeah. Um, which you know the touchstone at the time, of course, would be the roots. Oh. But with us, there was you know we had a horn section at least the first few years. Right. Um, you know, so trying to bring like a James Brown element into it. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. From there, um, as I kind of uh, was nudged from that band and they didn't have horns anymore. Uh, I started picking up guitar and as I was kind of getting into like, you know, your classic songwriters, that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. I was going to the U. Um, what were you studying? I was, stu- I started out in journalism and then moved to English, the, you know, uh, kind of creative writing. So you focus. like writing? Yes. You do. First and foremost, that's how I've always thought of myself is, is a writer. But I mean, the, and, the word as opposed to the music, yeah, first and foremost. I mean, I think so. I think that's where my strengths always lie. Right. And, and, and learning guitar was a vehicle to write. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of being around Dinky Town and that scene when I was in college, you know, driving to classes in the morning, listening to Drive 105, you and Mary. Holy crap, man. I mean, <laughs> um, it was Zone 105 back then, but it did change to Drive okay, 105. Okay, it was Zone 105 yeah, yeah. first. No, I, but, but, but so in yep. the, Mary and I, people think that she and I did a show together, uh, Mary Lucia we're talking about, on Rev 105. I, I think I saw her three times right. that entire three years. She was on at night, yep. I was on in the morning, but... Later on, uh, she and I did do a morning show together for about a year, right yeah. around the year 2000 would yep. have been the time. Yep. So I do remember that. Yeah. And I was a big Rev fan in high school and stuff. Right on. Um, yeah. And so from there, just kind of started doing the songwriter thing. And so when you grew, up, you grew up and you're listening to music, at some point you become singer-songwriter guy. You decide, I'm going to start making my own music. I'm going to be my own guy. Growing up. Where did those first influences come? Did they come from alternative radio? Did they come from classic rock radio? Did they come from somebody's record collection? Where were the first artists you heard? I mean, because you're young enough that in your youth, the internet was available, but it was not very sophisticated, right? There there wasn't no. a ton available, even with file sharing and that kind of stuff. That still wasn't very far along. When you first find the singer-songwriters that would inform you, where did you find that music? That was a lot of radio, yeah, and friends collections and things. Right, so, um, so a lot of seals but, and Croft, <laughs> a lot of England Dan and John. You know, yeah, you know how I do. <laughs> um, so you know, yes, your top forties, but also you know, growing up with at the time, I suppose Cool One Hundred Eight was all oldies. So you know, yeah. learning about sixties yeah. and seventies music there, right, via my dad. But um, I, I also know you that know. you're a more than modest Bob Dylan fan. And I don't think that I don't right. think I don't think that's a weird thing. I think that's a, like a very common thing because obviously one of the most important songwriters in American history. Where did that come from though? Where did you first start yeah. to hear Bob Dylan? I mean it'd be weird if I wasn't, right? Well kind um, of, yeah. Kind yeah. of. Um I think, you know, you just kind of find your way back there. Um, yeah. I can't even really remember. Yeah. Was yeah. your dad a Dylan fan? Not Particularly, he's here's a big the Beatles re- guy. But, here's the reason why yeah. I asked that. I was in Galway, Ireland in 1999. Right. My wife and I are sitting at Keys Pub. Yeah. And the band that was up there, you know, they did some originals, some covers, but three of four songs that they did were Dylan songs. Yeah. So I walk up to the lead singer and guitar player and I go, I'm from Minnesota. Can you just tell me what, you know, what's going on here with the Bob Dylan songs? He goes, he just looks me right in the eye. He goes, over here, we consider him a prophet. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Back off, buddy. That's not unfair. I mean, you you think about it, you go back to the 60s. I mean, that the Rolling Stone list of the top 500 songs they just updated. All right. You know, all along the watchtowers on there. I mean, literally in the 60s, everybody covered Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, mm-hmm. Judy Collins, Jimi Hendrix, the Birds. The Birds virtually made their entire career covering Bob oh, yeah. Dylan songs. Yeah, the inside track. Well, they did, in fact. And so, I mean, that's not surprising that he would be a major influence. So you listen and to I, radio, you yeah. hear music, you find it. And I mean... Mike, like I think, like most of us, probably you share with your friends. You listen to this. Of, you yeah. do this sort of thing. A lot you of mixtape training. Yeah. So let me ask you yeah. this: Before you find your voice as an individual, almost everybody cuts their teeth and hones their chops by doing covers. Mm. Would you say that that's how you kind of got? I mean, like, did you first learn other people's songs before you wrote your own? Not as much as you'd think. Really? Um, I more learned how other people's songs went and then tried writing like my versions of those. Really? You know, um, I've, I, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a weird thing. I mean, I certainly have played plenty of 
covers over the years, right? And of course, and whatever. But but I mean, no, a I lot didn't... of people like their first band is a cover band, mm-hmm. or their first time like they're sitting in their bedroom and trying to learn how to actually play that instrument. They are doing cover songs, and I was hoping yeah, I mean... that you had some song that was really embarrassing that you sort of mastered <laughs> oh. as a cover that you're like nope uh the zoo by scorpions i i can i can kill that song <laughs> um no i don't know if i have anything like that i i definitely you know had the the bob dylan songbook that i got at the podium in dinky town right know, but uh you know learning learning chords um donovan hurdy gurdy man right. nothing like that i am trying to think i mean it was Just a weird came thing. right out of the box and made your own music Kinda. That's yeah. a mindset, though. For um, some artists, they're well, like, I, "I do not want to play covers at all." I mean, I, I, I love it and believe it, but, but I mean, just as when you're getting your chops up, it seems like there must have been some cover songs. Yeah, there. I mean, I certainly, I, I, I mean, there are songwriters that cover a lot. Greg Brown oh. um, was a big one at the time. Yeah. I was about twenty. Um, I, I was really into listening to Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some Dylan. There's a guy named Dan Byrne who was a big influence as a songwriter. Um, well, let's talk about that for yeah. just a second, because I want to get into some music here. We've been going a little too long without a song. Sure. We live in Minnesota, right? And yeah. so we have had, whether you're a musician or a music fan or just an everyday person, you know, you talk about Greg Brown. I know he's an Iowa guy, but when you think about the rich heritage of Minnesota music, you don't have to go to the pinnacle of the mountain like our Bob Dylans and our Princes. We've always had incredible music here. Whether we're talking, you know, like you were in high respects, you know, the the independent hip hop scene, although you might the, there would be people on both coasts who would laugh if you told them that the independent hip hop scene in the Twin Cities is as strong as anywhere else is right. in the entire country. They might laugh out loud if they didn't know. But now they have to know because hey. it, it genuinely is. But we've never not had a good scene here. Certainly in the 80s, it bubbled up with all the artists we're talking about, plus the replacements, right. Husker Du, Solosai, everybody. But it's never not been strong. There, there, it's always been a really rich sort of crucible of really good music here, which has to help inform musicians. Also, though, I feel like it's got to be a little bit of a motivator in like, I just can't crap out anything. If I want to do this, if this is going to be who I am, if this is going to be how I articulate all this madness and joy and sorrow and everything that's happening inside my heart and my head, I better do a pretty fucking good job at it. Well, and I think that's the next tier. That's the next... Um the next step in my development was that realization of where I came from yeah, and that access to local music. And this is why I think the twin cities have always been such a great base. You know, people talk about moving, you know, musicians move to Nashville or Austin. It's like, you can go there, yeah. but being from here and the access that we have and have had to great music that's been made here is kind of what opened me up a lot. Um, And that, that started with, you know, like you said, you're, you know, bigger local bands like the replacements who could do Soul Asylum, Jayhawks. Mm-hmm. But as you start to do it more, and then it's like, oh, like that's, you know, Mark from the Jayhawks is here. Yep. That's insane. Or, you know, I'm having a beer with Dave Perner yep. or whatever it is. And, you know, sitting at the 400 bar. And, and as that starts to happen, and then you realize, oh, there's great bands I can go see regularly. I remember like Love Cards in the late '90s. Yep. one of our my friend's favorite bands. And started realizing that we could just stay here and be busy all week. Yeah. You know, all week, and there's always good music. So that leads me into your first pick right here, the Duluth Trio Low. I mean, they have gained genuine international acclaim, right? Yeah, and the slowcore thing is really where they sort of cut their teeth and got their primary original, at least international recognition. And they got on sub pop and everybody knows them the world over. But of course, you know, Alan has 15 side projects and I've fallen in love with several of those, but low has never really put out a crappy album. And there are almost no bands, whether they are local or otherwise that you can say that about, and Lowe just dropped another brand new record, and I only had a chance to go through it once, so I have not had a chance to spend any real time with it, which is unfortunate because I think they are a grower of a band. But even on, on first blush, it's another excellent record. Yeah, it's and it's different. And they have, you know, since they've been around long enough, they have, you know, 11 or 12 records and EPs and things on the side, but uh, it's a very carefully... I love that their catalog is so carefully curated that it's it's really digestible even at this phase, you know. 
It's brand yeah. new. It, it's brand new from Low and Low, as we were discussing while we were hearing the song, has never put out the same record twice. But there are certain elements that run through their legacy and their catalog. The hypnotic nature of what they do, no matter how mellow, droney, whatever it is that they're doing at the time, they're really an exceptional band. One of my favorite compliments I can give anyone, a band, a person, a chef, whoever, is if there's not anybody else quite like you. Yeah. And there's not anybody else like Low. And you go back a long way with those guys. Yeah, aside from just being a fan, I was just talking about having... um seen Alan and his son play at Palmer's a couple weeks ago yeah. with um, Fat Kid Wednesdays and Dosh, who that whole group of musicians I go back to the Dinky Towner with to yeah. the late 90s and early oh 2000s. Oh, my gosh. And then um, early in my days of of uh, doing the songwriter thing and kind of touring with my, my band, you know, four dudes, um, we did our first full-length record with Tom Herber's almost 20 years ago now and he wow. he still works with low doing their live sound um he had been working on uh trust i think at the time but we were we were touring we played in duluth and we opened for black eyed snakes mm. the you know al side project which was, which was pretty new in 2001 or two i think brand new back then yeah. for people who don't know alan sparhawk for all the quietness that Lowe became sort of famous for, Black Eyed Snakes is one of the most dark, broken, primal <laughs> blues screams I've ever heard in my entire life. And to and me, it's it's my favorite expression of Al's musical madness. Well, and I, I didn't know what it was, and so we knew him from Lowe. Mm-hmm. And this is 2002, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, and they're playing, we're, we're opening for them in Duluth at this club, and at the end of the set, Al starts screaming into his pickups and jamming. There's a false ceiling like in here, and he starts jamming it through his, the headstock of his guitar through the ceiling, and it's kind of raining down on the band. And I'm standing next to the owner who's just like shaking his head. <laughs> and I, I'm, my mouth is, you know, my chin's on the floor. I'm like, this is the guy from Low? All right. And, oh. and, and, you know, and then and still to this day, we're able, you know, I'm still able to go see him play music at Palmer's. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, people around the world would shit themselves if they knew you could see Low at, at Palmer's, you well, know, or, well, it wasn't Low, but, you know, Al Sparhawk. But it's, it's the same, same thing. guy. Same thing as like, and we were not talking about it this time, but, you know, the way that, you know, you're friends, we're friends with Greg Norton and, and we're yeah. friends with Grant Hart. And they're, oh. you know, like Dave Grohl would crap himself over getting to hang out with those guys. Yeah. You know, like he's buddies with Bob Mould, but like these big rock stars would love to know that like, oh yeah, you can just go down the clown lounge and have a drink with Grant, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and like same thing. I think that's something about Minnesota is that, you know, we're comfortable here. What, and what's, what's been great for me over the many years that I've lived here, knowing that is... I, I never, I guess I never took it for granted, but also it was never about like, oh my gosh, I'm going to hang out with a rock star. Right. But if they rolled up next to you and parked it down, I mean, you and I have both become good pals with Greg Norton. Husker Du literally changed my life. And so for me, I've always been like, be cool, be cool, man, be cool. Right. Like, because it freaks me out that Greg Norton is sitting next to me, right? And getting to know Bob Mould and Grant Hart of Husker Du, or, you know, having Dave Perner roll up at some gig at the turf club yeah. and hanging out out front and we're having a smoke. And it's just, again, it's not about being cool and hanging out with rock stars. I kind of, but I kind of love the fact that people underestimate the Twin Cities, right? Mm-hmm. Because it keeps it we better like it that way. I, I really, yeah. really we do. like it that way. You talk about running into Alan Sparhawk at Palmer's, and we should mention Palmer's, because Palmer's is a sponsor of the Brian Oak Show podcast. This is episode 188 with Martin Devaney. And Palmer's, I mean, Tony Zaccardi, I think everyone, virtually every person who's ever been on this show can vouch for the fact that Zaccardi is about as real and cool mm-hmm. as it gets. He's a musician. He's a regular everyday dude. He's a dad. He's a husband and he's just i don't know man he's a believer but he's also chill right i mean like he's just a lot of people who own clubs are flashy and larger than life (laughs) right and he's a guy who bought a bar on a whim not really on a whim i mean he knew what he was doing but he bought it you know you don't think I, i didn't think of him as a bar owner and then COVID hit but he managed to keep palmers alive when a lot of my favorite places bit the dust in the mm-hmm. last year and a half, right? And they're still here, and they're doing music out on the deck all the time, and yeah. it, summer's not over. It's not too late to get out there. They do everything, too. They've got jazz. 
jazz every third Sunday. They've got all kinds of incredible punk rock out there. They've got people coming out to spin records on the deck. Mm-hmm. Palmersbar.net. Go over there and take a look and see what's going on over there because it is the West Bank, and the West Bank has obviously gone through some fairly radical changes over the years. But this is a place that's still vibrant, still very alive, right across the street from Part Wolf. And we highly, because not just because they support us, but because we love Tony and the crew that works for him, to check out what's going on over at Palmer's Bar. Again, palmersbar.net. Martin, I mean, you've been playing long enough that you still, I mean, you got to play at the 400 bar, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, it's gone now, obviously. And they had a very brief failed experiment of trying to open up some weird version at the <laughs> Whatever Mall that of America. Was, yeah. yeah, that was odd. <laughs> that was not the 400 bar. Um, but that was a fun place to go see music on the West Bank. You know, and, and, and the West Bank, for a long time, I mean, still to some degree, but for a while there, there were so many venues within walking distance. Yep. Like that, we, you know, I always thought we could have done our own little South by Southwest on the on the West yeah. Bank um, with all the clubs. And, yep. and it's, it's fantastic that Tony's taken Palmer's over and, and what he's done with the patio right. out there and everything. And Christie's doing a great job, you know, booking it. Yep. Um, that's where my new project, we played our first show. Actually, Tony was in the studio with me recording on my last record hmm. uh, when he was finalizing his, his purchase of the bar. So mm-hmm. he's not taking calls and doing interviews while between takes, which is <laughs> kind of funny. But uh, a lot yeah. of moving parts going on. Yep. there. a lot of moving parts. So you uh, go just to go back a little bit more to your story before we talk about the modern era and folios. You start writing music. You've got a band. You're touring. I mean, like, do you at some point are you like, you know what? I'm done with a day job. I'm going to be a fucking rock star, man. Let's do this. Um, re- not no. Okay. <laughs> the short answer is no. I've well, pretty much I mean, but, always but, had job. But. but that's the smart answer, right? I mean, but there still were times where you obviously must have pulled up stakes and went on oh, tour for a little while yeah yeah plenty of times yeah. um over the years and and that's evolved in different ways uh over time um i certainly had enough customer service type jobs in between things and yeah and there were a few times when maybe i was less employed or maybe didn't have a job for a few months underemployed is what we like to yeah, call yeah, that yeah, underemployed. So I've, I've used that phrase plenty <laughs> um, yeah but pretty much i've always like you said kind of had a few few things to juggle and yeah. um you know been lucky enough to to be able to tour quite a bit over the years when it comes um, to martin devaney as a songwriter yeah so I find it fascinating. You know, I knew I was never going to make music, even as much as I love music. But I kind of chose my path because I like being around music, you know, all different kinds of music. So one of my favorite things with interviewing the literally hundreds, if not thousands of artists I've talked to over the years is finding out what their craft means to them, how it comes to them, I guess. Right. I mean, because whether you are a baker or whether you are an insurance consultant or everybody approaches something different. So when it comes to maybe not today, but when you were really picking up a good head of steam and you're like, Mm -hmm. I am Martin Devaney songwriter. Did songs fall out of the sky into your lap? Did they, did they, were they, did you have to Frankenstein them together? Were they impossible to wrangle? Was it some combination thereof? I mean, where do Martin Devaney's songs come from? Um, I suppose, you know, it's a combination. Um, I think early on my, I had just a fever to write. So I was writing, writing, writing. And now we talked about when you were in school, you were, I mean, like you were, uh, an English major, right? Yeah. I mean, so like the, the the written word was obviously a hugely important part of it, even though you're a music fan. Do your songs start with lyrics mm. and then the music comes in or vice versa? Uh, it really depends. I mean, a lot of it, I think, historically ends up being a rhythmic thing or, 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 or uh, you know, syllables to fit a melody. Yeah. And kind of go from there. Are you a journal guy? I mean, do you, are you writing words all the time or is that something that is in the background? Uh, I've never been a journal guy, really. Mm-hmm. Um Kind of surprisingly, but it's never taken the times I've tried. Like you, Jim Morrison, you know, uh, writing down your poetry and coming up with your songs I mean, from there. I, I short stories were all me, always my favorite medium mm-hmm. when I was writing more non-songwriting ring, and I still, you know, I've I've had some poems published. Um, I I do have, uh, I have been compiling a lot of non-songwriting writing over the last several years. Have you, and I know I'm, um, I'm changing directions on you right. every 30 seconds here, but given your writing background, given yeah. that you have had poems published, given that you do have a love of short stories, has publishing a book ever been something that's on your radar or something you've given any serious consideration to? It. There have been times when it's been 
closer to actually happening than not. Right. Um, and it's something that always <laughs> kind of floats around. Float, floats around, you know. Like so, like, but I mean, it's on the on the possible horizon. It's not something yeah. that you would put to bed, but you're also not making it your top priority. I hesitate to say I'm working on a book. But I have. Here we go. But I have things compiled. Finally, Sean, we're starting to get down to some of the that. meat here. I hesitate to say. Yeah. However, uh, if any publishers are interested, right. Penguin, Simon and Schuster. I Only mean, the big ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Indie record labels, but when it comes to publishing. Yeah. No, I'm going to need a six-figure advance. Um, you, you want the Devaney goods? You're going to have to pay for them up front. Come on, yeah. Pigs Eye, do book stuff. <laughs> Pigs Eye Press, it's happening. You know it. Um, no, but you know, like. I think about it sometimes because I was just hyper. I think I annoyed all my friends with it at the time. I was just hyper prolific to a fault, where like, and I, and also sometimes I contend that I, I, I was born ten to ten years too late because I think my approach to like <laughs> the DIY ethic and and how to work and how to write and how to tour and promote and all those things is more in line with like the slightly pre-internet indie rock of the nineties. <laughs> you know, it's kind of yeah, yeah. my sweet spot. Uh huh. But, um, and so when I was, you know, getting started that first decade of the 2000s, I mean, you think about how much changed there in terms of how people consumed mm-hmm. and music. And that still Ugh. has changed over the last decade. Um, and in terms of writing, uh, you know, like I put out two records, two full length records in 2002, not quite sure how I pulled that off and not quite sure in hindsight that it was a great idea. But that was sort of my thing at the time, was just write, write, and spit those things out. So why was it not a good idea? Because it was too much at one time? Too much at one time, um, financially, Yeah, not a great idea. Um, I was joking with somebody recently about um, how I should teach a course on, on things not to do in the music business. <laughs> I think you're so, not alone on that. Like, I think yeah. if you pull together <laughs> you know, a panel, you could probably <laughs> inform a lot of young up-and-comers. There's uh, Hemorrhaging Money 101. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I have a PowerPoint called um, How to, <laughs> rather, The Do's and Don'ts of uh, Opening a Credit Card Outside the Dinky Town McDonald's to Go on Tour. Oof. Not a great interest rate on that one. <laughs> no. <laughs> Haunted me into my early 30s a casual 24 percent something like that exactly. um and so on but still married musicians <laughs> right uh-huh. yep i got married late in life so yeah. relatively uh but you know these days i think i think i've regained a clarity that i haven't had in a long time and and some of that comes down to uh being in love with the process and the craft and being excited about the like the process of writing and the process of revision and, and looking at it truly as a craft, you know, like, so you just keep, you know, carving the wood, making the chairs, mm-hmm. you keep, you know, chipping away at songs and, and sometimes I'll latch on to, you know, a lightning strike moment, but it really is to me, I've never been a like force myself to write every day kind of guy, but to be able to write. So the guitar is out, the notebook is out. You know, I always carry around a little notebook with me, a little pocket notebook. And I, I scribble down tons of lines, and I do a lot of, you know, plugging lines into things, or yeah. that might inform the the theme of a tune. I do a lot of writing to song titles. Um, so you'll come up with, with the notion of an idea, like a title, and yeah. then try to fill in the body underneath it of what does that mean, because Sometimes, you've got yeah. the thing. Before we talk about the current project and where you're at right now in the current day with your songwriting, yeah. we've gone too long without a song, and I want to know, sure. because I love it when I ask people to come up with three songs, right? Because I end up learning a great deal about music. I end up learning about bands I've never heard of before, songs I otherwise maybe didn't have the right perspective on, whatever. I've never even heard of Purple Mountains, and so I need you to give me the 30-second elevator speech on Purple Mountains and this song. Right. Well, are you familiar with Silver Jews and David Berman? Very much so. So it's David Berman of Silver Jews. Oh, okay. He ended Silver Jews, basically went into a decade-long hiatus and, like, you you know, disappeared. Yeah. And a few years ago... It was rumored he was writing songs again, and sure enough, he came out with this fully formed record. So it's essentially a Silver Jews record, but he decided to call it a new project, and it's the last thing that he released, and it's brilliant. Well, I don't like talking to myself, but someone's gotta say it, hell, I mean, things have not been going.
So Silver Jews I knew, and I didn't really, I've never heard of Purple Mountains before, but of course, obviously that same sardonic, brilliant lyricism is in place right there. The rollicking feel. Yeah. And I guess I also didn't realize that he came to a very tragic end at the age of 52, taking his own life. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's hard. Um, it's a hard listen in general. Yeah. Um, you know, just as a piece of work. Um, and then through the lens of hindsight. Yeah. To not hear it as a suicide note. But I don't like looking at it that way. Yeah. Um, and he did a lot of press. Well, that was brilliant. That was oh, a great song. He clearly labored over these tunes. Uh-huh. And it, like David Berman's always been one of my favorite songwriters the last 20 years. But um, this record is just top to bottom brilliant. And it's clear that he cared about craft among all else. Yeah, well, I mean, up until the bitter end, despite everything else he was struggling with. Before we wrap up with the unofficial mayor of St. Paul, that would be <laughs> our a good friend, <laughs> head of folios right there, Martin Devaney. Um, I do have to mention, Sean, I understand that you are something of a realtor yourself. I am indeed. Yeah, you work for Edina Realty with, for, at, wherever, uh, at 50th France, that location right there. And you have, are busy, busy, busy right now, including with your own uh, little personal project. Yeah, it was kind of the same way last fall, except for I decided not to throw in buying a home myself. Mm-hmm. One of the things I loved about that song was just about simplifying and keeping your life simple. And that's what my wife and I did. We bought a house that's very humble and simple, and we've already downsized about 80% of our stuff. So the move is not that big of a deal, but the plan is just to live where we want to live. Now that the kids are through school and we're paying for a lot of college. Yeah. So um, just looking at it as hopefully we get to stick around for another 20, 30 years and have a decent place to live where I can jump on the train someday and go downtown and see some music. So Wow. And head over to St. Paul when I need to. Yeah, and I I know that you've intentionally moved within like five blocks of me, but that doesn't mean you can come over without calling first. And there's no Popeyes? No. (laughs) God, no. I think you wouldn't care for the Popeyes, but I think your wife in particular 
would not care for the Popeye. Oh, she'd probably be down with it. But you just think so? Text first. The right, Popeye's first. The Popeye's less of a thing than it used to be. It Thank used God. to be really big, and I'm from North Minneapolis originally, and people would pop by all the time when yeah, I was a, a quick kid. rap a tap tap yeah, on the door. And, or just some really close. You just kind of come yeah. in. Oh, the, doors, the hell doors, you do. The no, doors open. F that. <laughs> you do not. And that is not what you're advocating. Tell people where to get a hold of you. Uh, 612-859-2594. Uh, I also donate a portion of every buy and sell to a local artist. Martin doesn't know this, but he's on a list. We oh. can dis- we can find out in the next couple of days if money will be donated to I- one Martin Devaney, oh. one of my clients, brought him up. So not a federal list, but a list of someone who might receive money not based like on one of your transactions. Okay. Okay. I've right. been on All a right. lot of kind of lists, <laughs> yeah. so you no, got I me shaking a little bit. I don't doubt that for a second. <laughs> All right. Before we find out everything we need to know about folios and the release dispatch, which is very close to being available for everyone all the time (laughs) whenever they want to listen to it. Um, We're all kind of in the same boat. Sean got there a lot longer ago, but a little over a year ago, it became evident in more ways than one that I had to quit drinking. You also decided that it was time to sober up, and you decided to stop drinking. Has that impacted? I I guess I'm less concerned about why and how because everyone's got their own reasons, right? And you have to be at peace with it. It's not about grandstanding. It's not about telling other people how to live their life. The decision to get sober is an individual decision, and that's really all that matters. And you seem to be at peace with it. You look freaking fantastic. (laughs) You've lost a ton of weight, haven't you? Yeah, that's that's part of it. In a a good way, though? Yeah. Okay, good, good. I just, you know, sometimes when someone's suddenly very skinny, you're like, because Sean and I, we both quit drinking. We're not skinny. Yeah, and I was like, "What can I do? What can I still do? Mm, oh, oh, you know oh, what? That's right. Cinnamon rolls. <laughs> yeah. Those are good. Mm, so anyway, you look good. Thanks. But when it comes to being, you know, I mean, you've written music your entire adult life, right? Yeah. Now, though, for the first time, what for the last year ish? Yep. I'm just going to put an estimate on it. You don't drink anymore, and not like you were like sitting down like Tom Waits hammered at the piano playing out songs sometimes it, well exactly i mean that but <laughs> anyway, that's, that's yeah. what we do right i mean no trust me there's been no. more than a couple of these podcasts where <laughs> i was a half a bottle into it as we were getting sure. through it um but when it comes to your approach to songwriting and the things you reflect on and the nature of your craft because like you said it never stops growing right you always keep learning you're always finding something new about either your instrument or yourself right. or your ability to work with words is there any concrete way that sobering up has influenced your songwriting yeah i mean i think with uh well a few things yeah it's been about a year i just passed a year last week congratulations and and it was it was you know it's a decision like you said but it was also a decision it's my wife maggie puts it like to advocate for my health Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. because i did end up in the hospital and and i was and it was serious and so um it wasn't that the decision was made for me so much as it was i was given a set of options and, uh, you know, one sounded better than the other. I, I was in the same boat. Do you and, want to die or would you like to live? Right. I mean, not to oversimplify, but well, it, it basically boils down to those two. I've, I've reflected on it a lot. And, you, you know, I was in the hospital for 10 days. And, mm-hmm. that, and that's not, you know, for skinning your knee. Um, no. <laughs> and with it, you know, I was really worried about it because, I, you know, I've always been able to write and play sober or not sober, you know, whatever. Um, but with it, you know, a certain amount of romanticizing... Um, I don't know, fueling the creative side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I worried, you know, get, getting out of the hospital and coming home and getting better last fall, I was concerned about what the creative process would look like for me and what my relationship to playing music would be. And yeah, we're in this, you know, um, global pandemic, uh, which uh, kind of informed the staying at home part, which, you know, um, but the first month or so, I didn't do anything. I didn't. I didn't learn anything. I didn't do anything i was just focused on getting better and and learning that this was going to be my life now and and then tunes just started coming and there was a clarity that i hadn't felt in about 15 years and my like desire to write and you know i picked up i bought a guitar for the first time in about that long about 15 years got this little parlor guitar that molly mayer recommended Mm. and i just started writing tunes on this new guitar and um it actually became part of my healing process. I mean, it was, it was nourishing, and I looked forward to getting home and going and picking it up and, and, and getting into this, into making stuff. I liked the concept of making something that wasn't there when I started the day. And um, and it didn't stop. I mean, it was like really the, the 
the faucet <laughs> it got turned on and, and it started, you know, flooding over. And um, I didn't expect that. And I just kind of went with it. And I realized, like, it's a define that kind of writing is a defining factor of, of what I do. And um, can you do me a favor and tell me and the other people who don't know as, not, as much about instruments? Yeah. What a parlor guitar is? Is that just like a smaller, more intimate guitar? Yeah, just a smaller body, a little lighter weight. All right. Something, and you know. Why did you, why did you dub it Little Canada? Ah, uh, because it's a smaller <laughs> guitar and it, and it was made in Canada. Okay. All so. right. You know, I probably could have gotten there, <laughs> so but, but I wanted to make sure I had it yeah. right. So let me ask you this then. Why come out when the name Martin Devaney is a known brand and immediately recognizable for people here in the Twin Cities right. and in beyond. Why come out with the name Folios? I'm not entirely sure, except I joked that it was time to break up with myself. Interesting. Um, no, no, no. A no. lot of other people have done it. I wanted no, to see no, what it felt like. This is, this is fascinating, though, because, I mean, whether we're talking about recovery and finding a new Martin Devaney or whether we're just talking about a new era, whether we're talking about midlife crisis, I mean, yeah. when, no, but when I read that, like, I mean, and you're not quite well, to midlife yet, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> breaking up with yourself i mean that's i think that's a relatively deep concept was it, and it's not that you didn't like yourself before did you just want to see what else was in there yeah something like that i didn't you know not always a big fan of myself time to time but uh well, welcome to the club no, Barney, you know right? you know going that a little bit of it goes back to when i started playing out and 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 when, when i started making records under my own name i did so kind of from the standpoint of like bands break up and I, I won't if I do it under my name. I, I just, I answer for it good and bad. And that's kind of how it's been. And, you know, when I started making these demos and, and writing these tunes, it, I didn't, that wasn't the intention to start something new. Mm-hmm. But I was so burned out at the end of 2019 and into beginning of 20, I was going to take a break anyway. And I didn't know what to do. And, and, and frankly, like, I just felt like, I don't know what, like, I, a, a white straight male in my late thirties has to say of interest to anyone, you know, like as a singer songwriter guy, not that it like that isn't a valid thing to do. And plenty of great people do it. And, you know, I love, you know, all kinds of music, but, um, and I happen to be that guy, but, you know, I just felt like, um, I was doing a different type of recording, trying to really find my sweet spot and not, you know, just craft something based on influences or what I've been listening to at the time or trying to write in a certain way. It just, it felt natural to as to an extent that it hadn't in a long time, and I can find those spots along the way on records over the last twenty years when I knew I hit that so-called sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like you know I don't know if you guys know this I'm I'm not an athlete. <laughs> um, <laughs> you look so, like, you uh, look more, you look more like uh, one than Sean or I do. <laughs> well, I played baseball in high school, but you yeah, know, there like you go. no, but you know, I I felt like again with the writing and the craft thing, it's like it's something that I feel like I can get keep getting better at, and I was interested in that and that literary bent on it, and you know, however pretentious that it comes across, so be it. You know, it's like I just felt like there was a different aesthetic to this, and I wanted to set it up kind of for it to be potentially collaborative with other people and um, kind of to get a fresh start. And I, I didn't want to draw this line in the sand that like it's a new me and it's a new era. I mean, even though it, it somewhat is, it just felt like um, I, I, you know, I always liked those bands that were like someone's project, but they had a moniker, whether that's mountain goats or cat power or, you know, silver juice. Right. Um, I kind of dug that when you, it's like, it's a name, but you know, it's like, Ah, songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just it felt like the time to to try something different, and uh, and also to kind of go against all the things that I've I'm trying, you know, that I've learned over the years. You're quote unquote supposed to do. You know, I wanted to try to follow some different instincts and do that, not the opposite of you know what I'm supposed to do, but kind of just you know that hey, making a crudely recorded record at home um, and putting out you know playing all the instruments and singing all the harmony parts that. That doesn't sound like a very good idea. That's what I'm going to do. But that's what you, you did know? anyway. And, and so, yeah. 
Before we put a bow on it here with our friend Martin Devaney, uh, a.k.a. Folios, which is the new era, I do have to thank Smart Start MN Studios. we got to thank Palmer's Bar. we got to thank uh, Forgotten Star Brewing. We're going to be there this evening for the Oktoberfest festivities from 3 until 9. You can find out more at ForgottenStarBrewing.com. Yep, music you- goes all the way till midnight. We never did the Oof. earlier uh, announcement on Forgotten Star, but if you are a Patreon member, uh, you'll get... A we did it on the first show, not the second show. We did. I'll have to go back and in edit the very this. first break. Oh, we did. Okay, yeah. sorry, I totally forgot about That's that. That's all right. Anyway, if you're a Patreon member, you get a free beer uh, from us. So come by and see me. Remember, you talked about offering everybody a ride home. Oh, that's right. I'm, yeah. yeah. Not a problem. Sorry, I'm just, you know, trying it, to close on a house. It's too. okay. No, I got you. You got a few irons in the fire. I totally get it. Anyway, thanks to all of our sponsors. Thanks to our Patreon members. Thanks to all of our guests in the past. And we've got more Patreon events coming up and some great guests lined up for next week. We'll have more details on that coming up in just ahead. So, Martin, as we move forward, the new Folios record, Dispatch, is available everywhere October 8th. What's the yeah. best venue for, I mean, like, can people order physical product? Is that better for you? financially is it better if they go to Bandcamp? how would you like people to get their hands on your music uh Bandcamp is great mm-hmm. um and we'll have a we'll also have a store up at the website folios the band.com okay um for vinyl cds and the people's medium cassette uh originally this was only going to come out <sighs> this was only going to come out on cassette i was going to just put it out and not tell anyone right and then i started thinking about it and i was like i gotta put out records come on yeah. man gotta I mean, put out you, you got to like so my walkman doesn't um, work anymore and my car doesn't have a cassette player in it yours no okay well i was just asking but, but mainly um we did i actually got the records back a couple weeks ago i'd been quoted to maybe not get them till december well they, that's the whole thing so i work at a back, record store right. vinyl is months behind right back now i'm surprised everywhere. you got I'm surprised you got it on time. They quoted me later. They actually weren't taking on the pressing plant I used. weren't taking on new clients like weeks after I got yeah. my project in. So I'm lucky to have them. And we are doing a release show at the Astor Cafe on the 23rd of October. That was my next question. Live music yep. performances. So you got a you got a release show October 23rd at the Astor. Yep. Do you foresee more shows over the course of late fall, early winter? Yeah, we are playing um, this month, September 24th, at the New White Squirrel in okay. St. Paul. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Our mutual friend Jason Nagel uh, works there, I believe. Correct. Yeah, it's right in the neighborhood. Um, It's about six blocks from my house where Jason lived for a little while Uh uh years ago. Uh, And so we're playing there in a couple weeks. Um, It's going to kind of be an occasional thing. Like every. I mean, probably play every six weeks or Okay, so. but I mean, people but, can get know. all the necessary details at foliosthebandcom correct? Yep. yep, and we'll have records up there soon, and Bandcamp, and it'll be streaming everywhere, too. But uh, It's yeah. good to see you, man. You, you look, as well. You look healthy, and you Thanks. look happy, and you got a new project under your belt, and I just, I wish you all the best on all of this. Tell me about this song before we wrap her up. I mean, yeah. we're going to take them home on that. <laughs> Here's well, the yeah. hit. The, uh, the label wanted a single. And uh, I, I, I kind of need something to break up the gloom a little bit. So <laughs> I I, uh, I had this tune and uh, kind of put together a couple of things that uh, somebody said to me many years ago. That I called me the the Shane McGowan of the Twin Cities, and they they weren't wow. talking they weren't talking about my poetry, if you know what I mean. Oh my! Um, <laughs> you have great teeth, but uh, <laughs> way better, than, way better than, than McGowan's teeth. teeth. Yeah. Exactly. Had a lot of teeth pulled over there. <laughs> And uh, and and a couple other things. There's a guy who who said to me, I'm not even kidding. He said, "Devaney, you're like a bad penny. I see it everywhere I go in town." And I just took a couple of those things and made a tune out of it. <laughs> so.
Thank you.